I hope you brought your Bible today. Um, open it up to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, um, I would love for you to have one. Please come see me after the worship service, and I will give you a Bible. Uh, open up to Mark chapter 2. We've been talking about why we love Jesus, why we can love Jesus. Um, one of the things that that distinguishes Christianity from, from all other world religions is how the leader of Christianity, Jesus, how he related uh, to, to people. Uh, many religions boast about great teachings of its leaders, even miracles being performed. Uh, only Christianity has that and a leader who related to people and relates to people like no other. And so we're going to read a story from God, the Gospel of Mark uh, that, that shows that. We're going to start in verse 13. This is what it says. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting there, at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast? While he is with them, they cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. At the end of uh, the second century, there was a, a church leader, a bishop, a very loved bishop named Polycarp. And uh, Polycarp was, was martyred for his faith, um, he um, he was given several chances by the, the the Roman magistrate, the Roman authority, who ordered the execution. Several chances to recant of his Christian faith and his allegiance to Christ, and 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 live. Um, finally, the the magistrate said to to Polycarp, "All you need to do is curse Christ, and I will let you go right now." And uh, Polycarp's response has actually been kept through the centuries. We have what Polycarp said, and this is what he, he, he said. This is, this is in the, the mid-2nd century, around the year 160 or so be, uh, after Christ, A.D., 160 uh, or so. Polycarp said, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Great response, right? Think about what he said. 
86 years I have served Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. Christ has done him no wrong. I mean, he's talking like he knew Jesus, right? And this is what makes Christianity so different from other world religions, is how Jesus relates to people. Here's Polycarp. More than 100 years after Jesus was executed on the cross. And he's talking like he knows Jesus. Jesus has never done me any harm, said Polycarp. So I want to talk about how Jesus relates to us in this beautiful way. Um, I want to talk about God's grace this morning. And specifically, God's grace that I want to talk about is this. The good news of God's grace that Jesus comes near and Jesus calls you. One of the most amazing things about Jesus is how accessible, accessible, like we have access to him, how accessible he is. Uh, There can be a trend with people, and that is the higher position that they achieve, the less accessible they become. Have you ever seen that in a relationship or maybe with an employer, with, with, with a boss, an immediate supervisor who, who kind of goes up the steps a little bit and is no longer as accessible. The higher p- the position, often, the greater the work, the, the greater the commitments. The, the, the less time that you have, the more inaccessible that you are. Or the higher the position, what? The higher the ego. <laughs> and you don't want to make time uh, for others. So think about Jesus' position. Um, the Gospel of John opens with this memorable saying of Jesus that Jesus is the Word who was God and who was with God from the very beginning. Uh, it doesn't get much higher than that, right? That is about the, the, the highest position that someone can have. But Jesus constantly made himself available and accessible, accessible to others. People met with Jesus all the time. They may have rejected his teaching, perhaps, but nobody was rejecting Jesus' accessibility. The Pharisees invited Jesus over to their homes, and Jesus came. Tax collectors invited Jesus over, and Jesus came. Do you know what the the first kind of public uh, event that Jesus went to when he, when he called his disciples? You know what the, the uh, kids up here in the front, can you guess what was the first place that Jesus took his disciples? To school? No, to a wedding. That was Jesus's first thing that he went to with his disciples. Jesus made himself accessible. A young couple invite Jesus to his wedding. He came. People going through crisis with Sick family members at their homes invited Jesus to come over. He came. He was extremely accessible. And when you step back from it for a moment, you might ask, what was the Son of God, the one who was with God and was God from the very beginning, what was he doing? Hanging out with common people of the world. He is so different than what we would expect. So why did Jesus come? And why was he so accessible? He didn't have to come. So also in the second century, there was a, um, a philosopher uh, who was very against Christianity. His name was Celsus. And Celsus saw Christianity as a big threat to the Roman way of doing things. And so he, he set himself out to disprove, to, to, to steer people away from Christianity. To, to, and he did it intellectually. He tried to intellectually pick apart Christianity. And one of the things that he said was, 
you know, if the Christian God indeed is so powerful, like the Christians claim that he is, why did he have to come down to earth? Why couldn't God have just kept ruling from the heavens? Is he not strong enough to do that? Celsus believed that it was that a God who had to come down in human form was actually a weaker, less appealing God. Why did Jesus come down? He didn't have to. So our story today shows us why Jesus came down. He came down to relate, and you can't relate remotely, can you? You have to draw close and be a part of people's lives. And that is what Jesus did. So Jesus came because Jesus loves. Let me show you an interesting detail from uh, how Mark tells this story. The story or a story of Jesus having dinner with tax collectors. It appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And let me tell you about this unique way that, that Mark tells a story. Um, who was throwing the party? So here's how the English Standard Version, you might have that Bible translation with you today. Here's how that Bible translation puts it. Look at this. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Who's throwing the party here? So many commentators, many commentators, not just a few, um, uh, many commentators actually, so in the Greek, the original language, just as it's highlighted here, there's only the way that Mark tells a story, it's only masculine personal pronouns that are given. It's, it's he reclined at the table in his house. Now, Jesus had a house in Capernaum, uh, or at least use of a house in Capernaum, and this is where the story has taken place. If you go to the very beginning of chapter 2, it, it indicates that. Jesus had at least the use of a house, if not possession of, of a house in Capernaum. And many commentators the way that they interpret the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus was throwing the party, that Jesus called Levi, follow me, and Levi followed Jesus, and he followed him to to Jesus' house where Jesus was throwing a party where Jesus was inviting tax collectors. Um, Now, Whose house was it? Was it Levi's? Was it Jesus's? If you look at Luke's, uh, the way that Luke tells the story, well, it's pretty clear. At least Luke's telling of, the, of that account or an account, it, it's clear that it's Levi's, at least Levi, uh, through, through the party. But I'm wondering, does it have to be just one account? Does Jesus have to have a meal with tax collectors just once? I don't think so. I bet you Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors, having meals with them quite often. Um, look at verse 17, what Jesus says in verse 17 one more time. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And if Jesus was committed to calling the sinners, calling the sick, not the healthy, he probably hung out with the spiritually sick, with the tax collectors, with the sinners quite a bit maybe even having them over to his house for a party. See, he doesn't simply hang out with people. He eats with them. 
welcomes them. He embraces them. Now, he also seeks to move people forward in their faith. Jesus isn't just kind of hanging out just to hang out. He is also moving them forward in faith. So tax collectors, many of you know this, tax collectors were, were Jews who would rob from their fellow Jewish country men and, and women um, and, and were employed by the Roman Empire to do that. And they would, they would rob their fellow Jewish people um, for their own benefit. They would overtax and they would take the extra money for themselves. And so tax collectors were often kicked out of their local synagogues. They were often kicked out of their local families. They were isolated. They were outcasts of their society. And Jesus wants more for them, for their lives, than cheating others and being isolated from others. So Jesus doesn't just eat with them. He calls them. He calls them. So let's, let's talk about Jesus' call this morning. The call to follow Jesus. It's more than informational. It is relational and it is transformational. A few months ago, I got a letter in the mail. It was a very official-looking letter. I opened it up. It had the official seal of Texas at the top of the page. It had a... A signature, might have been a stamp, a signature of the Harris County District Clerk on it. It said I was being called. My presence was demanded. I mean, it was requested. My presence was requested at the downtown courthouse building for jury duty. And according to this letter, I was a prime candidate in my calling. See, it had a list of exemptions of which none applied to me. I was an ideal candidate for this calling to serve as a juror. Some calls are such that an impersonal letter will do, even to the most qualified of candidates. And the tax collectors were not qualified candidates to follow Jesus. If you were a tax collector... Uh, if anything, you might expect an impersonal invitation from Jesus. If you're a tax collector and you see Jesus and you're like, uh, yeah, he's way up here. If I ever get a call, maybe it'll come impersonally, like, like a general announcement from Jesus. Maybe that's what a tax collector could expect from Jesus. Like, hey, if you want to follow me, I'm beginning a weekly lecture series down by the lake on Monday mornings. Come if you want. That's not the call that Jesus gives to the tax collectors. It's personal. He meets with them. He eats with them. And he calls them. Why Why did Jesus make it so personal to the tax collectors? Because we want to be acceptable to the Lord. And people try all kinds of things to be acceptable to the Lord, working hard with prayer and and avoiding sin and, and serving and giving and working so hard. And no matter how hard we try, there always will be a gap. There always will be this gap between a truly holy life and what we are able to achieve, this big gap. 
And the teachers of the law even were great examples of this big gap because by so many outward appearances, they looked extraordinarily holy, but they weren't. So there's this huge gap between this truly holy life and what we are able to achieve. Why does Jesus come to eat with tax collectors and sinners? He's showing us something. He's showing that the only way that we are truly made acceptable to the Lord is when someone else or something else outside of us, apart from us, makes us acceptable to the Lord. And that's what Jesus does. He could have just taught about it, but he chose to show it that he makes us acceptable to the Lord. And he does that by eating with the sinners. And the truth is some people treat Christianity more like a data download instead of a real relationship. They treat Christianity as a a call to, to receive information. Let me receive the information of Christianity. And they can be experts at quoting Scripture and knowing the general content of the Bible, but it doesn't seem like they've really taken the teachings of Christ into their hearts. Instead, Jesus' call is to be in this relationship, not just a data download, but in a real relationship with him so that we will know that he makes us accessible, not accessible, acceptable to God, to the Lord. And not only acceptable to the Lord, but delightful to the Lord. And that, isn't that what Jesus shows when he's eating with the tax collectors? Yeah, you're a delight to me as we eat with one another. And the call to Jesus to follow Jesus is so it's relational, but it's also transformational. So in verse 17, Jesus says, it is, it is, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Why do the sick need a doctor? Do they need someone just to come and shoot the breeze with them? No. They need to become healthy. And the doctor will guide them and prescribe them ways to be healthy, to, to, to lead to health, ways that lead to life. Jesus shows what life in God's kingdom is like. It's, it's being in this community of love. That's the kingdom of God. Being in this community of love that goes out to the outcasts and, and the forgotten abouts of society and says, no, no, you belong here. You belong with us. Why do you belong here? Because you have a Savior who loves you and who makes you acceptable. And people heard this this call of Jesus, and they were transformed by his love. They were amazed at his teaching. They were transformed by the love that he showed. So Jesus went around doing things that, that nobody else was doing in the ancient Roman Empire, including a few centuries um, after Christ. I mean, it wasn't uncommon in the Roman Empire uh, for parents, if they had an unwanted child, um, an unwanted baby, um, maybe they felt like they couldn't afford it. Or maybe they got a boy, but they wanted a girl, or they wanted a girl, but they got a boy. So it wasn't uncommon in the ancient Roman Empire for parents to leave unwanted babies just out to die of exposure, um, to, uh, or, or babies that had physical deformities, just take them out to the woods and leave them there to die. That was, that was not uncommon in the ancient Roman Empire. 
one day Jesus, how does Jesus act towards children? Well, one day the disciples are shooing children away from, from Jesus, shooing, telling their parents, get those kids away from Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you let those little children come to me. And he took the children and he put them in his arms and he placed his hands on their head and he blessed them. Jesus was doing things that nobody else was doing in those days. And then it was in the centuries to come that Jesus' followers took that to heart and they would rescue the infants that were left to die in the Roman Empire who had disabilities caused by unsuccessful abortions and the babies were just left to die. And it was the Christians that would go out and would bring them in. Jesus' followers saw how he would make time for the sick among them, like lepers who were completely shut out from community. And Jesus didn't just heal them from afar like, hey, you way over there, be, be healed. No, he went up to them. He put his arms around them and he touched their faces and their eyes and he, he healed them. He talked to them. He showed them they were accepted. He made them acceptable. And then his followers took that to heart, and they continued in that practice. So it wasn't uncommon in the ancient Roman Empire for when, some, when, when a family member was contagiously and deathly sick just to kick him out on the streets, to die alone. Or during times of plague, it was the wealthy Roman citizens who would leave their sick family members at home, and they would go to a safer place. So they'd be away from their family members, so they wouldn't die. So they wouldn't die. The rich wouldn't die. It was Christians who would come in, taking the the teachings and the practice of Jesus to heart, who would come in during times of plague. They would stay. They would go to those who were sick with a plague and take care of them, risking their own lives. Within a few centuries, uh, it was the establishment of monasteries throughout the Roman Empire uh, that became launching points for the very first hospitals for the sick. The, reasons we, the reason we have hospitals today, can you guess why? It's because of the Christians. Who knew that it's because of the Savior and his love that we are acceptable to the Lord and delighted, delightful to the Lord. So Jesus came because Jesus loved. What, what are a few things that we see in this story? I'm, I'm going to mention two things. One thing is this. Uh, Jesus brings joy to everyday life. I think that's one thing that we see in the story of Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. That doesn't mean that every day feels like a great day. But it does mean that the fact that Jesus came into our world as a human being, he has made this world a sacred place. Not a solemn place, not a somber place, but a sacred place. And everyday life is sacred, not just Sunday mornings. And every place can be a sacred place, not just church buildings. Because as Jesus was either in his living room meeting with tax collectors and sinners, or in Levi's living room, meeting with tax collectors and sinners, he was making those places a sacred place. A lunch shared by friends can be a sacred place. 
Your living room where parties go on can be a sacred place. You see, God's plan, we see this in the prophet Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet prophet Habakkuk. Uh, Let's look at what he says about God's plan. God's plan is this. It's a pretty amazing and comprehensive plan. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And last time I checked, how much of the sea is covered by water? All of it. Christ plans to fill all spaces of everyday life. And that means we can have joy. You know, the teachers of the others, you know, were questioning, uh, they were questioning Jesus. Why aren't your disciples fasting? We look at, out, we look at the Pharisees and their disciples are fasting. And we look over there at, at John the Baptist and his disciples are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting, Jesus? What were they really wondering about? I don't think they were wondering, hey, we just don't want you to miss out on this valuable spiritual discipline that that is important to us and helps us connect with God. I don't think that's why they were questioning why Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. No. They were promoting this religious life that was about deprivation, about showing your dedication through religious ritual. And good golly, if you were having too much fun, well, that could mean that you weren't really trying. Jesus answered, why are my disciples not fasting? Because it's like a wedding. And when the bridegroom is there, when the couple's together, you're going to celebrate, right? So life can be very difficult. But one thing to ask if you are a Christian is this, do we have the bridegroom right now? Do do we have the bridegroom? Do, Do we have Jesus? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yes. Not in person, but we have him. He's not far. He's not distant. Now, one day it's going to get even better. We're going to see Jesus face to face. But sometimes we have to remind ourselves often, and I need to remind myself often, and we need to remind one another often that the bridegroom is with us, Christ is with us, and so we can have real joy. It's one of the reasons why we gather here on Sunday mornings to to, to worship together, to remind ourselves we have real joy because Christ is present. Here's another thing we learn from the story. Everyday life is the time and place for everyday love. Everyday life. Having that get-together, having that dinner with friends, that's everyday life. And it's a place for everyday love. One thing that we see uh, Christ doing is he came, this is, I've got some friends here from Northwest Houston. I'm really glad y'all are here. At least one of y'all is a big Dietrich Bonhoeffer fan. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what, what he would say is that Christ came to unify your life, not separate it into what is private and what is public. It is not, Christ did not come so that you could leave two different lives. He came to unite your life so that you're public and you're private, that they're, they're one. Jesus did not come to divide your life between religious, like your church activities, and regular, everything else. No. And of course, we see Bonhoeffer living this out as he ultimately gave up his life, trying to live his faith in a very public way, trying to end 
the Nazi regime. Um, but Bonhoeffer shows us this, this unity of life, just like Jesus at this, this party. Unite the, the religious and the regular. It's, it's one thing, everything. Jesus makes everything into a sacred space. So if we are Jesus' disciples, as one commentator put it, we will not, yeah, we want to bring people to Jesus, but we're not simply going to do that. We're also going to bring Jesus to people, like in our public spaces. (laughs) We will show everyday love in everyday life. Uh, maybe that means, for you, eating with people that you normally wouldn't eat with. Um, We will work hard at showing people that just as Jesus accepts them, so will we. Now, last thing, how, how do you receive the power to live like this? You see the sacrifice. Look for the sacrifice. Why was it that the teachers of the law were so shocked that Jesus ate with sinners? Why, why were they, why were they, they, they just couldn't come close to comprehending why Jesus would do that. Why? Well, because they believed eating with sinners would make someone unclean. <laughs> they believed that If you ate with sinners, their sin would taint you, and you would be unclean. And it was one way. Uh, They didn't believe that your goodness would rub off on the sinners that you're eating with. Now, is that true? No, of course not. I mean, if you were having lunch with a murderer, would that make you a murderer? No, of course not. But neither would your innocence rub off on the, the crime committer doesn't happen. But, but don't you see, in a very real way, when Jesus ate with the tax collectors, he was inviting them into a real relationship where both would happen. Jesus would become tainted, and they would become clean. When the religious leaders saw this, they thought Jesus was just a big phony and a threat. When he saw them eating with these tax collectors, Jesus, you're just tainting yourself. You're a phony. You're a threat. And it wasn't long before they started to plan how to kill Jesus. You see, when Jesus ate with those sinners, he really did take their sins upon him. And he made them clean just by receiving and embracing them. And and when you answer Jesus' call, and enter into a relationship with him, the same thing happens. Your sins have tainted him. He was willing to take your sins on him and on the cross and die for them. And not only that, Jesus, his innocence, his perfection, it rubs off on you. And the power to love, even those much different than yourself, even with people you don't agree with, maybe even people that you don't like, the power to do that happens when you realize this perfection before God that you have, not because of anything that you've done, but what Christ has done. And it is His holiness and His beauty that is just completely, He's rubbed it off on you because He's willing to meet with you.
He's willing to be a part of your everyday life and be in that real relationship with Him. When you realize that there was nothing in you that has added one bit to your righteousness with the Lord, and yet you are completely loved and made holy because of what Christ has done for you, that's what transforms you. And that is what gives you the power to love, to show everyday love in everyday life. Will you, um, will you pray with me? And what we want to do is we want to, we want to create this, this time of prayer, to have this time of prayer. And if there is anyone who, listening to this story, hearing the story of Jesus and his love, if there is anyone that is not a Christian, but might identify with one of those, the, the, you know, the, the outcasts, the sinners, the, the, the people that, yeah, they're, they're, they're not living as the way they know they should be living. Um, And if that's you this morning, know that Jesus, just as he ate with those tax collectors, those sinners, he wants to be with you, he wants to love you, he embraces you, and you can turn to him this morning. We'll pray for that. And also, let's pray for opportunities. This week, even this day, Everyday life where we can show everyday love and be this community, this church community that that reaches out and invites in because that's what Jesus does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a gracious God and we have a Savior Christ who will lead the way in, in, in building love in this church community, this church family. We, we pray that you would help us to, to be transformed by your love, that we would be loving. We know that your kingdom, you're growing your kingdom, and you are, you are changing lives, and you are, you are bringing light into the darkness. You are making people into new creation, new creations, and you invite your church to be a part of that, to be... Uh, just a, a, a sign of Christ's love. Lord, Lord, lead the way. Help us to see how we can um, just bring Jesus to people. And Lord, if there's anyone here who is not a Christian who wants to turn their life to you, or your Holy Spirit lead them right now in giving their life to you and in, in receiving your love, you're with them, you love them, They don't have to do anything to earn your love because you give it so freely. And that's grace, and we thank you for your grace. We pray that you would be stirring in our hearts this morning, drawing us closer and closer into this life-giving relationship with you. We pray this in the name of our Savior Christ. Amen.